0: One, two, three.
1: Welcome to Three Song Stories, the podcast that connects you, our listeners, to our guests using music and songs and the stories they contain. Thanks for listening. I'm Mike Canary. Our guest today is Maestro Nir Cabaretti, best known here in our part of the world as the music director of the Southwest Florida Symphony, but that's only been for the past five years or so. He's better known around the world as the music director of the Santa Barbara Symphony, which he has led since 2006, and he was recently appointed music director of the Israel Symphonietta Bersheva. Chamber Orchestra. We'll fix that in post if it's not right. I'm pretty sure it's not. His bio describes him as an internationally acclaimed conductor, and his resume proves that point. Maestro Caporetti graduated from the University of Music and Performing Arts in Vienna and was then appointed chorus master of the Vienna State Opera and the Salzburg Festival, and since then he has done a whole lot. Go check out his Wikipedia page for real. Over the years, he has conducted symphonies and operas and ballets, including many guest conductor stints. He's won awards and accolades for his work and was Described as a conductor with immense musicality and a warm personality by Maestro Zubin Mehta. But that's all what he's done as a Maestro. We're here to hear his song stories. So let's go. Hi there, uh, Maestro Cabaretti. Hi, Mike. It's what a pleasure to be here. For starters, can you clarify for me and our listeners, uh, Maestro? Is that like Doctor or Lord, where it's always applicable, or is it something that you only say in certain context? Like when do you prefer to be called Maestro versus Mr. or Near?
0: Well, maestro is more the like old school way to uh, approach a conductor. So, in Italy, for example, when I work, or in Germany, or it would be unheard of that people will call me by my name. Uh, they normally would uh, say maestro. I have a question here and there. So, uh, and that I think reflects some uh, respect to a person, maybe that has a knowledge of of uh, you know we, we are working with an orchestra of eighty individuals. And uh, the conductor should have the ability to look at the entire thing. Every musician knows pretty much his/her part, but the conductors bring uh, a stylistic approach, a historic mm. approach. Uh, of course, a lot of knowledge, and I think that comes from that. But uh, obviously, today we live in a in a more accessible yeah, world. Yeah, yeah.
1: Hmm. Um, So I got the pronunciation right? Absolutely. that's amazing. I just totally (laughs) guessed on that. Uh, So how did you wind up in Santa Barbara after all the other things you had done? Well, you know, that's one of the most amazing thing in the music uh, world. It's such a small
0: village, if you want to call it. I was working in Italy uh, on an opera in Florence, Italy, which is also by miracle how I ended up in Italy, coming from Israel, studying in Vienna, moved to Spain, and then got a job in Italy. Uh, And while I was working on an uh, opera there, I met a lady that told me that, well, they're looking for a music director in California. Uh, I sent my application around uh, together with 300 more people. Mm -hmm. And through the process, I was advanced to the final, and I made my audition and and won the job. But uh, I would never know about that unless I met this lady in a dinner. Uh, She's an opera fan, and uh, so it was kind of an incredible coincidence. But yeah um it is something uh, it's part of the profession if you choose to cho- if you uh, choose to be conductor um you have to probably be somewhere else than where you were born. It's not a profession that you normally exercise <laughs> yeah, yeah, in your yeah. own place.
1: Um, uh, what's your wife's name, or how do you pronounce your wife's Gaya. name? Gaia. Gaia, okay. Yeah. And then your your sons or your children are Adam and Amanda. Correct. Is it a coincidence that both of their names only have A's and M's and <laughs> D's? And there is something
0: <laughs> in it, but, uh, uh, you know, they have a lot of meanings. Uh, Amanda, my daughter, was born uh, – in, uh, well, both of them were born in Italy. Um, and I was working in Rome. And so Amanda is a Roman name, coming mm. from, from amore, which is love. Mm. So, uh, and Adam, uh, the first son, you know, I realized in that portion, I mean, I, I was reading, uh, something in the Bible and it was the name Adam and, and Earth, Adama. In Hebrew, came a lot. Hmm. I says, well, maybe that's sign if it's that comes so close to his uh, birth. So,
1: yeah, there is some kind of connection. But, huh, and cool. we are happy that it was in A, but that's – yeah. That's pretty cool. Um, so what was the musical background of your childhood when you were a kid? So my father played a lot of instruments himself. Um, uh, he actually uh, –
0: Taught himself a few instruments, few he studied, um, and on, I would say on a semi-professional level. So I grew up seeing a lot of instruments at home, and and one day when I was five or so, I said to my dad, uh, "Can you teach me this?" And I says, "Let's start with the recorder." So we did that for a few weeks, and then I. Achieved his level and he said, OK, that's enough. Let's move on with something else. I said, I would like to have the keyboard. He did not play the keyboard but he got me a teacher and from then on – so music was always at home. Not exactly the kind of music that I exercise, I perform but
1: uh, I always played an instrument, all, always saw instrument. So more on the lighter side of this. Did you, um, did you show talent immediately? Is it something where you were like, wow, music, this is a thing I'm going to do right at that early age or did it take longer for that to gel for you? Ah uh, it you know it it seems to be very natural, actually, <clears throat> my father was the, the
0: one thing i'm very grateful he taught me uh the how to read music uh. and to look for chords, so you know I had a, some kind of a knowledge of harmony and, and notes before I could read anything you know my my parents couldn't did not. Uh, tried to teach me to read books before I went to school. So I went to school. I was six and a half or something. Like that By that time, I could read music. Wow. You so learned to actually, read music
1: before yes,
0: words. Exactly. So that's actually the first language I could read. And um, I never thought, you know, of – um at the beginning, it was not something, okay, that would be something I would do uh, for life or uh, to to make living or something. No, it was – you know, it's a part-time of uh, – it's a part of your life. And it's an important part. I knew that I could, you know, whenever I want, I can play something, and then, you know, uh, becoming in the class, so I would play in the parties and and uh, ceremonies and things like that. But I, it took me a while before I thought it could be something a lifelong uh, commitment. And this has to do a lot with the first selection that actually mm-hmm. I've chosen.
1: Okay, We'll get to that in just a little bit. Yeah. Um, the fact that you learned music before you learned you know, language, you know, to read and write or to read, um, do you think that sets you up? Because you speak how many languages? You speak multiple I, languages. I, I speak five languages. Do you think the one maybe helped set the stage for the other? Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, I think
0: the ability to learn a language has a lot to do with music because our ear imitates sounds. That's why, you know, in an early age, if you uh, learn a language, you wouldn't have an accent because the ear can adjust to that. After 16, 17, the muscles are working differently. So you can learn a language, but you would not be able to imitate it in the same musical way. So I think the fact that uh, I, I can listen to things that maybe other people cannot so easily listen to without any training Makes it possible to uh, purchase
1: a new language in a pretty fast time hmm. that 's very interesting i 'm glad my daughter is learning to read music as a kid these days absolutely because i, I can 't read music I can see chords and do that but um, what was the music being played around you when you were a kid? Uh, a lot of pop stuff, my father would play a lot of Israeli songs and uh, light pops and uh was you know, there you know western music was there rock and roll and all that stuff all of that yeah, all yeah. of that I you know uh, my father also had a band, and you
0: know they were quite uh, you know known for that in fact, one of us big fames to claim is that he was the warming up group
1: for Frank Sinatra when oh, wow. he visited Israel in the sixties or something like
0: that.
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Huh. What was it being played on around your house? Like what kind of uh you know, Is it spinning lot? records on on a stereo system. Exactly. I mean we we had the, you know, the
0: old records and it would play Beatles and it would play all the fashionable, uh, you know, um, genres at that time, musicals, jazz, hmm. everything
1: that was available. Do you remember the first music that you owned? Like yourself as a kid or as a young adult? I think my very first record was a Beatles song when they did
0: the mix uh, of songs, and that that was of course the 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 the, the,
1: group, the band already uh, dismissed, but yeah, that was my very first record hmm. yeah, okay, now it is time for your first song, which I loved it when you sent over the list because i I knew the uh, anyway i 'm not going to go any further, so would you like to tell the story? Would you like to listen to it? then tell the story it 's up to you let 's listen to that first okay well let 's hear it this is uh Fame, I'm Going to Live Forever, from the soundtrack to the 1980 movie of the same name. There's something really fun for me to watch a conductor do his hands to fame. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, where does that song take you, and why is that song, song on your list today? I think without this song, I mean mainly the film, uh, and
0: actually more the, the TV series that came after yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Without that, I probably would not sit here. Mm. And uh, not that I'm trying to do anything dramatic, but I would not go a professional path without attending a music school on the highest level, which I inspired to go after I've seen the um, the film. So, you know, growing up, uh, I said, you know, music was something part of the life, but it was not so essential. And uh, the the feeling at home was, uh, you know, you should purchase... Um, a serious profession, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, lawyer, accountant, doctor, I don't know what, something serious. <laughs> and um, Something that, that would assure you a good income. Right, <laughs> right. And um, so, you know, I went to normal school and was registered to a, 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 what we call realistic. Uh, at what
1: year? What age? was this That at? was
0: by when I was 14, okay. 14, 15. We have the four years of high school when you sort of uh, indicates your professional way. So I went to a school that, you know, would um, uh, would highlight math and physics and chemistry and things like that in order to to go to university uh, and, and I, I would have needed this credit. So – and then this film came out and, uh, and all of a sudden I realized, oh my gosh, there is a school where kids with talents uh, – I mean there were students that were a little bit older – can get together, and then you share things, and it's it's such an enriching environment, and, uh, and by coincidence, uh, uh, one person I knew well said, so well, you know, there is this art school in Israel, which in that time had only one school. Uh, why don't you try to audition? And I've seen the, the film, I said, and I said, oh, my gosh, I would love to get into a school where people uh, have the same... Uh, approach to art mm-hmm. that have a lot of interest together which was really tough going to a normal and I did one year in a normal I won't say normal high school yeah, yeah. it was tough for me to kind of get to, you know along with kids that couldn't care less about music so uh, I made the audition and uh, it, I I uh, Luckily, I won a a place in this classroom. So all of a sudden, I go to school and I have actors and painters and musicians. Uh, What was
1: your audition like? What did you have to do? I had to
0: play – well, I I had to uh, master uh, an instrument. that time, I was uh, pretty serious on piano. Mm -hmm. And my audition, I played Chopin, Mm -hmm. uh, the revolutionary tune, the Beethoven sonata. I remember that clearly. And there were some oral um, questions and things like that. And um, I was accepted. And <clears throat> that – so, you know, I, I knew music. I knew how to play. But the school insisted that I would switch. A piano teacher would go to somebody you know, on a higher level. And then, you, of course, you do all the uh, theoretic um, um Less than harmony and solfege and history of the music. But more than anything else, what this school gave me is the opportunity to be together with people like me. And all of a sudden I see one person is playing the trumpet and he's playing in a youth symphony. And I said, would you like to come to a concert? I went to a concert. One of our colleagues played a harp and uh, she had a concert and I went to see her playing with uh, as a solo. And all of a sudden I'm, I'm trying to go to I'm starting to go to classical concert, and I'm going to plays, and I'm seeing
1: exhibitions that my friends were part of. Were you just like, "These are my people"? Yes, absolutely, <laughs> yeah.
0: absolutely. And and that sort of paved the, I think the 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 path into a professional uh um, career in a sense that there I met people said, so, "Well, you know, if you really want to to do this seriously, you should go to Vienna," or uh, and and also the to know about conducting. You know, I was. When I went to school, my initial uh, feeling idea was I would like to be a pianist. That's what I right. want to do in life, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. And so then I go and I see concert and uh, concert with pianists, and I would stare at the conductor. Hmm. And that's like, oh, that's what I want to do. Ah. I had no idea what the conductor does. Uh, you know, I, I I would look and I say, wow, he waves it to his hands. Uh, it was that time pretty much his. Uh, there were not so many her hands, yeah, but yeah. Uh, and it's changed, luckily. But looking and – and, and uh, so my teachers were playing with the Israel Philharmonic, et cetera, So they will invite me to concert and I've seen really the, some of the best conductors ever. You know, Leonard Bernstein and uh, Claudio Abado, to name a few of them. And of course, Zubin Mehta who at that time was just an, uh, a myth for me. <laughs> and then, you know, I said, wow, that is so cool. They just, you know, use their hands and like magician. They, they make magic. The, the sounds come beautifully and um, – so, I become deeply interested in in this uh path, and of course, being in a school where a lot of kids have access, some of them are kids of you know famous artists et etc. You, 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 you know things that otherwise I would have no idea. So yeah. I, I could not imagine myself being here, which is, you know, a process, a life process from, you know, going to school in Vienna, then, uh, you know, winning a position in at the opera, then moving to Florence, then meeting people that I come to the States, et cetera. So this was an, an essential part of the start. So I love the music of fame regardless, but I chose it specifically because I think it inspired me to dedicate myself and to go sort of to do the unheard of in our family and to go to a a school that would dedicate to art. Did you get any pushback from your parents? At the beginning – as they said to me, well, are you really sure? You know, isn't it a waste of time? You know, you would then regret it when you would like to purchase a real <laughs> profession. Right. Uh, fair enough. I have to say they supported me pretty much all the way through once I got into it. And one, they realized what a beautiful way uh, – what a beautiful school, by the way. You know, a lot of kids which, you know, we are still in contact because we work together. We, right. You are guys pro- are all in that small world exactly you're really. talking so about. if I will go and conduct the Israel Philharmonic every few years – I see the first trumpet there who was a classmate you know and and things That's like that, all so oh, cool. my
1: teachers even some of my teachers are still playing, so that is so cool. um so you said when you were a kid and you went and you didn't know what the conductor does. What does the conductor do to our listeners like briefly, concisely, like how do you describe what it is the conductor does? <sighs> yeah, I, I would say there are a few things that a
0: conductor does the, maybe the most uh, banal and easy thing to explain is sort of control the traffic in a sense you know you have eighty people. How do you start eighty people? How do you get them to start together? How do you get them to end together? Uh, If a composer writes, you know, to speed up or to slow down, you know, there are 80 musicians who are fabulous and they have their own opinion. And if I would say somebody plays something fast – he will play it maybe faster than another. So mm-hmm. like we need to be those synchronized. So one has to say, okay, this is how fast mean. It means 70 beats per minute or 105 beats per minute. But you have to set the tempo. So that's the one important thing. There is another aspect which is training, training the orchestra, you know, like a coach does in a basketball and a football. Mm-hmm. They, they do, you know, they have their training and they build up some strategies that then when the match comes, you say – well, it doesn't look to me like something is, is actually organized, but it's very well organized. Mm-hmm. So in a, in a concert, in a way, it's probably the easiest part of the job, but the training towards the concert, like what do we want to highlight? Like how do we create a balance between the different groups? How do we stylistically work on one phrase? Mm-hmm. You know, we can play one phrase. With, if we have string, we can play it with a different bows. And that's things that we discuss in the rehearsal. And maybe the third, uh, which is not, Less important, but is the interpretation part. So the composer indicates pretty clear things, you know. Um, but the con- con- conductor have a little bit of liberty. Says, okay, you know, write this, we can do it. it maybe slightly faster, maybe slightly uh, softer, and things like that. So there are all kind of interpretation questions that come that somebody need to take the decision before the conductor. And conductor is, pretty, is a pretty modern profession. You know, the mm-hmm. composer himself were able to do that from the violin, from the harpsichord, etc. But when things become so large, you know, it's impossible today for the first violin to see the tuba and the percussion at the end of the stage. So you need somebody that sort of to coordinate
1: that. This is really the basic of what we do. So would it be fair to say that what, what you what the audience sees you up there doing is just the tip of the iceberg and all the rest of what you're doing is happening before that concert and behind the scenes and setting everything up for that moment. Uh,
0: Yes, there is a lot of preparation that the audience don't see. But what the audience see in the performance, I indicate through my conducting. If I look at the English horn or if I would look at the second clarinet or something, the audience will know this is the important part now in the piece. Ah, So I'm also – You're directing attention. Exactly. I direct Ah. also the attention.
1: Can you um – can you feel time? <laughs> you know, can, you, can you count off 70 beats per minute with your hand without having a metronome or any kind of assistance pretty, at this point? Pretty, yeah, close?
0: Pretty, pretty, pretty close. Yes, pretty close. So mm-hmm. I don't need a click to tell me this
1: is 116. Yeah, yeah I pretty much have it in my ear. Yeah. Hmm. I mean, Where does music fit into your life other than your profession?
0: Well, it is a
1: life commitment,
0: you know, uh, so I cannot really detach myself because a lot of what we, we do at the backstage yeah. has to Well, do with I mean that.
1: more like uh what do you listen to? What's on your phone? What's in the car? What are you What are you listening to now? I, I have to say
0: I'm so happy to listen to pretty much any music. I love if I listen to jazz, if I listen to anything, if it's a musical, if it's uh, uh dixieland, if it's I'm a big, you know, of course, growing up in the 80s, so certain things that I'm really more connected I know Queen and uh, Peter Gabriels and uh-huh. Sting and all of that but I'm, I'm less maybe connected to the new generation. Not because I don't want, I just you know feel, uh, well time is also an, an essence here so I'm, I'm concentrating in things that I if I have the moment to listen to something from the past I'm happy but I'm very open to pretty much if it could be Arabic music, it'd be far eastern music um, I have no I think there is only one parameter for me to judge if music, if I like it, if it's good. You know, mm-hmm. if I, I, what I don't really like and I don't want to offend anyone is when they call something music, which really is such a repetition where there's no really melody or harmony. And I want to you know, get into more specifics, but that's kind of hard for me to understand. How can people even think it's music?
1: But if people like it, sure. You know, it's, it's, it's valuable. Yeah. Um, uh, when was the last time you bought music? that had a physical form? Uh,
0: Well, now I do pretty much everything on the, you know, iTunes. Can you remember back
1: to like that last CD? Uh, I think maybe five years ago. uh,
0: Yeah. I do get a lot of CDs though, you know, from colleagues and from uh, managers that would like to promote a certain artist. Well, yeah. Well, this is a CD that this, you know, performer recorded with the London Philharmonic or something like that. But on my own, just because uh, it makes it easy to – to travel, and now even the laptop laptops don't have the, the access for a CD. Yeah, so before yeah, yeah. that, I could do it. Uh, now I try to have everything on the on the iTunes and the yeah. Are you a singer? I started singing just for purposes of understanding mm-hmm. the uh, the music, and uh, you know, since you since I worked in the opera, and that's pretty much the Viennese school, um, you know, vision. Starting an opera that's an easy way to access the business. Once you're you know, you do your way there. You can go up and and become a, a concert performer. But hmm. the, the way ways. a sort of, uh, I would like to say, a factory. The opera is a factory. that Interesting. Train you. Yeah, that's a very, very much the German, Austrian, Europe, West European tradition. So in order for you to get into that, you study voice training in school, which I did. And that opened my mind to completely different way of, you know, using your body. I, I, I would not say I'm a singer, but uh,
1: I, I know how to talk to singers. Have you ever uh, uh, applied your singing prowess to karaoke? A few times, yeah, <laughs> a few do you, times. Do you have a go-to karaoke song? No, no, I, mean, I don't really Fame. have this. Guy. <laughs> Fame
0: would be something I could do, but uh, I did a few other things. That's in in fun situations. Yeah, you know, we go once. I remember when we went to Tokyo, right, with the cast. We did Barber of Seville, and you find there, are, you know, a few foreigners. one American singer, one French singer, one Italian singer, me, whatever, and then we just go out after a show and have fun
1: and do karaoke. That's that's also possible. What about dancing? Are you a dancer?
0: Uh, I can't say I'm a dancer, but I studied dance, believe it or not. Um, that also was in my Viennese time. And I said, well, I'm in Vienna. And now I will do all my life waltzes. <laughs> right. In fact, they do every New Year's Eve pretty much a, a Viennese traditional uh, 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 concert. So I said, if I'm here, why shouldn't I join um, – a dancing school. So I learned all the salon dances, you know, tango and waltz, English waltz, uh, hmm. foxtrot. They're still up in your Cha-cha. Head? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting to know the movement and to understand that. I do work a lot with dancers though. I do a lot of ballet and this is really an incredible, beautiful experience to be able to match the music to a physical movement. And that's one of the most challenging things because, you know, the body, like an instrument, right? It has its own speed. Yeah. So if I want to do something, it might not fit the dancer. If the dancer is tall, like, you know, I had one now, with the Bolshoi soloists, these are very tall dancers. They need a little bit more time to mm-hmm. get things done. That, you know, um, a less tall dancer would, could be a little bit more, uh, a little bit faster. The dexterity of the muscles or whatever, the mm-hmm. fits, is different. So, uh, this is challenging but when it happens this combination
1: music and and movement
0: it's absolutely gorgeous.
1: You know you you you're you're out there kind of without a net when you're you know once the show starts you guys are live and it's happening does it ever happen where something you know there are near misses or somebody you know I- interesting moments in live performance are there any of them that, that leap to mind Absolutely absolutely Probably so many you can't so remember So many all. <laughs> No I tell you so many but luckily we fix them so fast that the audience would probably not even right. realize that because you're but, dealing with like total professionals, like everybody in your right. world is is top of their game.
0: Right, they are top of the games, and now this is one of the things you asked me about the conducting. So we, while I, you know, normally will indicate what will come up. I will give a cue a second before it comes. Uh, if 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 the music is soft and all of a sudden come a very loud chord, I would show it before the actual time. So actually put. Uh, um, anticipate a little bit. like prepare it. But what happens is if all of a sudden I realize that one instrument is behind for whatever reason, you know, um, whatever instrument is slightly behind the, my bit, I would look at them. So it, it, that means that I'm, I'm interacting with something that happened in the past. And when I indicate them, make sure that to bring it together. So this is something that happens. As I said, these are milliseconds, and you need to be very aware. There is no uh, autopilot there. Yeah, yeah. Everybody is dialed in to you and the moment. Right. And, and luckily, that's something that prevents us from being able to be conducted by robots. I don't think that would ever work because <laughs> robots would not be able to, yeah, <laughs> to yeah, yeah. fix well, these hope. things. <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, OK. Well, let's move on to Song 2. I, what is Song 2?
0: Song 2 is uh, originally Spanish song sung by Cecilia. It's called uh, "Ramito de Violetas," uh, which is the flower violets. Do I pronounce it right? You're looking. You're asking the, me. No, the, the flower. The flower. <laughs> yes, I mean,
1: violet. Violet. Yeah. Yes,
0: <laughs> and it's a beautiful song um, talking about a couple in their in their you know later life, maybe, and a sort of a routine. Where I mean, these are the, the lyrics, and and um, so the the, the wife receives violets every november and without any indication who is the one that's sending it and while she has the husband was always kind of nervous and unhappy looking and things so she keeps that as a secret and only then realize that actually it's her husband and set her the flowers so but i chose the, the 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 song for for different reason. it's uh it it, it came out when i was um I don't remember, but like maybe 16 or 17 or something like that. And uh, it's the first time I was actually um, uh, exposed to Spanish music by a singer that I liked a lot, Israeli singer who grew up partially in Spain, David Broza. And then he translated a whole bunch of songs from Spanish to, uh, to Hebrew. Now, I have a Spanish origin, uh, goes back centuries ago, but I don't know how to explain, but it's something, you know, when I my my great grandmother still spoke Spanish uh and the food and there's a lot of uh you know expression uh, in the language that they would use from Spanish. And there is something, there is a I have a weakness to to this Spanish uh, music and um David Braza sort of opened for me a door to a, all kind of music that I did not know. And um you know, life is really unpredictable. Um, about two years ago, I was here in Florida uh, and a musician, flute player, um, write to me, uh, you know, I would like to be featured as a soloist. This is what I do, blah, blah. And was, you know, we have a nice conversation. I says, by the way, I'm in Florida with David Brosa. And I said, David Braza? Are you performing with him? He said, yes. I said, is there any way you can put us in contact? And she said, yes. So she put us in mail. And I sent him a, a message and said, you know, uh, I'm a fan for the last 30 years or so. And, and I'm just about to program a Spanish festival. This is These two loves that I have, Spain and music, and I'm doing a four-days festival in Israel. All four days is Spanish music from flamenco to guitar concerto to, to Spanish opera. You know, most of the operas were about Spain in the Romantic era, you know, uh, Carmen and Trovatore and Don Carlo, whatever. And I said, I would love you to be part of this festival as a pop. And he immediately accepted that. Wow. So that will
1: be uh, next month. Really? Yes. So that that's, hasn't even happened yet. That, that,
0: that happened next month. And this song from this album would be there. So it's called uh, – Played in, by in, him. By him. Well, so he, <laughs> he 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 will perform it with me in the orchestra. So the song, he did not write the song, but he translated it. Yeah, that, yeah. That's from Cecilia, yeah. as I said, uh, the violets, ballets. And in, in Hebrew, it's called Sigaliot. And he gave a beautiful
1: interpretation of that. All right. Well, let's listen to it together and imagine that happening soon. <laughs> So you have, have you had a chance to meet with him in person yet?
0: Um, we did not. We just uh, – over email. And so so he, he he'll show up a week early and then you guys rehearse No, we something have, like we, that? Yeah, we, we meet uh, in two weeks in Israel in his home to go over the songs and the arrangements for the orchestra to make sure. And then we have two orchestra rehearsals. And then there is the opening night of the festival, which he will be featured. So Are you pretty excited about that? Pretty much. <laughs> pretty much, yes. You know, it's, it's – uh, Life has, as I said, its own path and all of a sudden an opportunity comes and I if, you know, would ask me a few years ago if I would ever meet oh, – suddenly when I was 18 when I heard these songs, I would never think I would ever have anything to do with David Broza. But as I said, one person came up
1: and all of a sudden put us together and said, oh, that fits to my you know, uh, festival. So yeah, I'm very much excited about that. When you're listening to that with your eyes closed like we were just doing, where are you going in your head? What is it making you think about you know, first of all, uh, I remember
0: also the original uh, song. So all of a sudden I realized a few things like, for example, there's one uh, thing that he does which the original song was on the piano, which is like, so very beautiful. And also uh, for the first time I realized that, you know, while the Spanish songs talk about November, that's where the husband sends the flowers, of others because that's probably why they bloom in Spain. In the Hebrew version, in the Israel version, it's in the spring. Yeah? Ah. So I said, "Oh my gosh!" It's so, I didn't really realize that we are talking about the springtime, and I was just enjoying this
1: beautiful and he's beautiful playing on the guitar. By the way, that's yeah. him. That's him. Yeah. yeah so yeah I was just enjoying it Hmm. we'll have to get a translation of that and put it on the the post of this on the website and I think we're going to try to time the release of this episode with your festival so we can tie that all together perfect perfect. Um, do you remember the first time that you conducted you know that you were a conductor and you weren't the assistant or whatever it was all on you and the lights came up and the audience was there can you remember the first time oh yeah yeah definitely Um, so you know during this School time, I
0: did already a few performances, mm-hmm. but um, let's say the, the but that would be more like you know during a competition maybe to do would be part of the four finalists. So you do one piece right, things right, like right. that. My very first concert as a conductor, which was like in a program in a subscription concert, was in mm-hmm. uh, 1993. So it goes a long time back, and uh, I remember you know the preparation for that and. And it's a a journey that never ends. I mean, every concert, if people think that, oh, it's kind of a routine and you're less excited, no. Every concert, I'm getting more excited and Probably even more nervous. I don't know. I mean, not on stage, but like the preparation part, because it's not something that it's never a routine. It's always mm-hmm. something that, I mean, mm-hmm. I uh, – there's always like kind of, oh, I maybe not will sleep so well before that or after that, yeah, adrenaline, et cetera. So there's a lot of excitement. So I remember very much the first time, and I pretty much remember every time. I mean, mm. It's, 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 uh, you put so much emotion into it.
1: So it's something that is, is, is a long, uh, Extending experience. Do you have a peak experience that, that, like, one that you just everything was just came together in a way that was magical, beyond what's normally magical? There
0: were a few uh, performances that I would say were probably on the peak. Um, But um, I tell you something: if you would ask me, it, it has related to if you would ask me, what is your favorite song, or your favorite composer, or your favorite piece, or something like that. It will change every week because every week or second week when I put a performance, you put so much effort in that and that for you is the most important. So if we perform now Verdi Requiem, this is for me absolutely the most important piece on (laughs) earth when I go out and then next week I would do a a Beethoven or a Mahler or, you know, we're coming up with a Frank Sinatra show. Oh, wow. That's extremely beautiful music. I've done a Beatles show, done Queen shows and so, you know, it's for me it's the, the emotion and the, the feeling of doing something uh, particular is uh, is not is nothing to do with the particular composer it's pretty much every time and so it's kind of hard to uh, to beat but of course with the experience and with the knowledge you do expect that every you know, concerts especially if you do look at a certain piece for the second time. If I've done Beethoven Fifth, and how I'm doing it the second time or the third time or the fourth time, there are pieces that I've done maybe with fifteen different orchestras. Wow! So every time you
1: have more experience, more knowledge, and you would expect it will be actually a bit higher, huh? You've guest conducted orchestras all over the world. Are there cultural differences within each, you know, a culture or b just the different orchestras where when you show up things are different?
0: Both, both. Uh, so both cultural and both uh, orchestra's dynamic and chemistry, and orchestra tradition. So you know, just came back from um, performing in in, in Rome in, in the opera house and in Belgium with the Royal Philharmonic. Completely two different experience, which would be then very different than working with the uh, Tokyo Philharmonic, hmm. where. Orchestra is extremely well prepared to start with and extremely well behaved in the sense they don't allow like jokes and and, like they're so on the top of sometimes it's actually even frightening because, you know, I I would like to say a joke and I would expect them to laugh, right? (laughs) And they are so like on the top of it. And so, yeah, there are different cultures. You know, I've done a concert in South America, which, you know, was a beautiful experience. But at the same time, the working process is slightly different from one orchestra to another. Uh, there is a very, you know, a local tradition, yeah, local I, chemistry. I, I,
1: I assumed as much, but you also said it's kind of a small world, so I thought maybe there was more uniformity than I would expect. But probably. you know,
0: when I say f- a small world, is in the sense that they all know the music. They all sort of, if I have an artist here, you know, probably this artist played in Paris and in Chicago right. and in Tokyo. So they we, we share the same artists pretty much, the same pieces. But there is a different kind of unions, different kind of uh, orchestra rehearsal times, and uh, different kind of approach. Like you know, the are orchestra where musicians don't feel very comfortable to talk. It's only the principal that will talk, would communicate with the conductors. Some orchestra, you know, from the last end they can shout, you know, and and mm. so that's that happens, and and it has to do with the language as well. Each language has more formalities and less formalities. So there are places where they're extremely formal and they would, you know, approach me with a third person, you know, kind of. Mm. So and in some places, I would never use first name. And, you know, here I would say, John, would you play that or yeah. Peter? Yeah. And some places I would just use family names, you know, surnames. And it depends on the formalities of that. So there are some differences. There, certainly. There are certainly differences in the cultural things, So, you know, some European orchestra would play in a different, there's a slightly different concept of sound, hmm. of the strings, of the brass, you know. The American concept of sound, I mean, it's actually divided into a little bit by East, West Coast, but let's say mostly is like Chicago, that's kind of the ideal brass sound, Chicago Symphony, you know, with the golden age. It's a bit different than the German and the Austrian or the French sound. So, yeah, hmm. the, you, you've seen that.
1: Hmm. How did you wind up at the Southwest Florida Symphony?
0: Uh, also interesting in Rome, you know, all the ways leads <laughs> to Rome. <laughs> I had a performance in Caracalla Bath. Uh, that's um, the outside. That's the summer uh, Residents of the opera house. It's it's in a beautiful day and evening. It's an open air. I've, I mean, it's known mainly because the three tenors per, first performed there, so okay. now everyone knows the Caracalla Bath. So I had a performance there, and um, through a mutual friend, American said, "Well, there's there are two ladies that are coming, and if I can help them, would we'll get a ticket." And which I did, and it happens that one was a, an ex-executive director here at the South Southwest Florida. We exchanged cards and things like that. A few years later, uh, I got an email saying that, uh, you know, by the way, they're looking for a conductor. So, oh, how cool is that? So without much uh, knowledge about the place, I did some research about the orchestra, about – The beautiful place, you know, that's something I'm very picky about. I would not go to work in a place I don't like. (laughs) So you like Southwest Florida? I do like, yeah. It's obviously very beautiful, and yeah, this is this will make my um, decision to apply for a job much easier. (laughs) Hmm.
1: Is it common for a conductor to be the music director at multiple symphonies? It's pretty much the standard. um, uh, You know, conductors, music directors,
0: it's a part-time job and it's regarded how much it's paid you know if you go to the you know new york and la these are extremely well paid positions but still the conductors are only part time of the year in town work with the orchestra only part time of the season Actually, most of the season in a big-time orchestras is done by staff conductor, house conductor, assistant, conductor, or of course guest conductors, mainly guest conductors. And this is good, you know, it keeps the orchestra happy with uh, different ideas that maybe music director is not interested in doing or not—that's not his forte or her forte. So uh, the music director has uh, a certain amount of weeks during that season. So that gives the music director a lot of time to. Guest conduct, or to be music director in some other places. So when I worked in Zubin Mehta, who was my, you know, um, boss for a while in Florence, I was a full time assistant. But he was at that time running the opera house in Bavaria in Germany, the Israel Philharmonic, and Florence. Before that, he did, you know, the New York Philharmonic hmm. and Israel. So it's kind of a normal to be able,
1: uh, I say that the, the job requires only a certain amount of weeks in the year. So when you go to be a guest conductor, how Soon before – or how long before the performance do you show up and is it all programmed by them and then you come in and do what they've programmed or do you have some say in what they're going to play? How does that all depends.
0: Out? If it's an opera, they probably will say, "How oh, we, we want to do uh, Carmen and we want you to come. I don't have a say much about the title, pretty much nor uh, – also not about the soloist. You know, There would be an artistic director – cast uh, director, et cetera. So they will cast it and I will just tell me, are you available from February 12th to March, whatever. So um, that happens. Sometimes with the symphony, is a little bit more of a collaborative. they said, well, we have this soloist. Will, they will play the Beethoven concerto. What about the second half? Would you like to offer a piece or to suggest? Which I do. So, hmm. you know, if I go, and sometimes they just say, okay, we have, we, we need a guest conductor. This is the program. Take, Take it or live it. So that happens as well. It's and, and, and that's what I also do when I have a guest conductor, you know, when I invite a guest conductor and when it concert, to I know says, Well this is the program, how about that? Or sometimes it happens, yeah, we have this already established. Can you suggest a second half of something like that?
1: So it's a collaborative effort. Hmm. Do you have a favorite band? Like in the world of pop music and rock music and all those things?
0: Well, I have a lot of bands that I like. I mean, is it like something like uh, it has to be from now or from, from history? No,
1: from all time. I mean, what have you maybe spent the most time listening to in your life or, or you know? I'm a big Beatles fan. It's yeah. kind of hard to, <laughs> yeah. to
0: to beat that. But I tell you, I, I love the the
1: BGS. Oh, I love yeah. them. I love yeah. Earth, Wind & Fire. Oh, cool. Uh, Police. Uh, Police I, were my first band, like in the 80s. That was right, who I locked right. into. I love Police. And
0: uh, – Phil Collins, uh, of course, and um, yeah, a lot of bands that I, and Queen, you know, it's now with the Bohemian Rhapsody out, you know, did great, absolutely. You know, all the memories comes back, and and honestly, I did not know so many things about Freddie Mercury, so so like, you've wow. seen it, yeah, oh yeah. yeah,
1: yeah. Um, what about live music um, that you've gone to see? Not you know, not you <laughs> conducting, but like you know, a rock show or a yes, band or something uh, like that. Well,
0: you know, growing up in Israel was kind of difficult, but I did see, for example, Simon and Gar- Garfunkel. Oh,
1: cool, and that was like. Wow. <laughs> and Earth, Wind, and Fire. Oh, yeah? So, yeah, yeah. I we just I, recently had another guest that saw Earth, Wind, and Fire open for someone. Anyway, yeah, I digress. That's, <laughs> that's absolutely phenomenal, yeah.
0: There was almost a, one moment that I could uh, work with, um, with Peter Gabriel.
1: Oh, really? Uh, yes,
0: there was a project in Switzerland that unfortunately did not go. But, uh, yeah, I'm, and, you know, now I have you know a, a few of my – not, I cannot say friends, but Kenny Loggins and, uh, you know, the Beach Boys and things so like that. So you've worked with Kenny Loggins? No, um, I w- I was talking to him and we were once featured in an evening.
1: I said, oh, how cool it would be. So I'm still trying to make it happen. <laughs> <laughs> one of our favorite stories from the, or songs and stories from this show is one of the early episodes. It was the Kenny Loggins version of House on Pooh Corner from the Winnie the Pooh movie back in like 1982. <laughs> <Cool>. <laughs> so when you see Kenny, tell him. Right, cool, yeah. <laughs> oh, okay, well, it's time and I,
0: I I love, you know, I love Motown. I mean, I was like, you know, I'm a big fan of uh, Stevie Wonder, uh, Diana Ross, Tina Turner, all. I mean, so, cool. I'm, I'm extremely, and, and that's kind of people telling me, how could you? No, if music is good, it does the same effect. If you listen to a Mahler symphony, a Verdi opera, or uh, Paul McCartney, the excitement is equal.
1: Hmm. Well, let's move on to song three. What is it?
0: Song three, uh, Smile, are uh, uh, from the movie La Vita Bella. I don't know the English version of La Vita Bella, by the way. So it was we won the Oscar, Roberto Benigni, for the best film. I think Richard's going to look that up. And um, so it combines two things that are very close to my heart. Uh, you know, I'm citizen of, I'm Italian citizen. When I moved to Italy, married an Italian, my kids are uh, were born. In, uh, now we are in the states, but they were born in Italy. Both all have Italian citizenship. And at one point I said, well, it doesn't make sense that I'm not. So I became an Italian citizen. And um, in my time in Italy and also in Israel, I've tried to do a lot of things that I think that the cultures are very close. Also, it's physically very close. And this is a beautiful collaboration. Uh, Israeli songwriter and performer uh, Noah uh, wrote the words to um, the composer Piovanni who wrote the music for this really beautiful film Um, and just a very very uh, beautiful song and um, it it also you know the the, the film was um, took place in Italy but um, the shooting were in Tuscany where we do have a place so there are a lot of kind of symbolic things about this music
1: Okay, well let's listen to it what's it called again this is Smile Smile So, in, in the States, it was released uh, under Life is Beautiful, right? So, just a straight translation. And it actually, um, in 99, uh, it swept the Academy Awards Best Actor, Best Foreign Language Film, Best Music. Um, it was nominated for Best Picture, Best Director, Best um, Editing. Like, it, it really did um, get a lot of accolades. Um, it, it debuted in Cannes. But, yeah, it's, it's called... Life is beautiful. I'm pretty sure I've seen it. Now that you say that, I'll have to go make sure. It's
0: an extremely beautiful film, and you know, one of the most incredible Oscar nomination ceremonies. Roberto Benigni, the the, the actor, he did an incredible, beautiful uh, appearance there, coming from the hall, jumping on the chairs, going on stage. He's a, he's a, you know, he's a comic uh, comedy guy, uh, which he, but absolutely genius, and and also, I mean the. Why I also chose this film, Smile, even in, in situations where are, which are extremely tough. And that's what the film is about. It's, it's, it's not a happy film. It talks about World War II and uh, Jewish family in Italy, et cetera. And by the way, uh, Roberto Benigni, as the actor, is try to see everything and tells the kids, like, all kind of, um, um, legends and, and try to make them happy and in spite of the difficult situation. And the, the song really captures it so beautifully, musically-wise, but also the the lyrics, you know. Sometimes um situation may not be the one you want. Take it with a smile. Try to make the best out of what you have.
1: Hmm. Um, as someone who is so tuned in to music, Um, do you have any – or have a hard time listening to music because of there maybe are imperfections in it that the rest of us don't hear? I mean do you have – Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. You know, and it happens to me
0: to go to shows, you know, it could be musical or shows and it's out of tune or the balance doesn't work or somebody – and you just suffer.
1: (laughs) Ignorance (laughs) is
0: bliss (laughs) in other words. Well, you know, and I think it's part of our – our, you know, as a conductor, a lot of time you have to criticize what's going on, mm-hmm. right? If it's, it's imperfection and rhythm or whatever, and you have to say, okay, that doesn't work, that doesn't work, and, and it does not get away
1: from you in your normal life. That's that's the problem, yeah, you know? Yeah. So you always look, oh, can we do that better? Uh, yeah. You know, I've been around a lot of bands, and it's interesting how sometimes a band can come off stage and just be like, ah, oh, that was horrible, but the audience had the most wonderful experience from, you know what I mean? There's sometimes a disconnect between... Thank God. Yeah. Th- yeah <laughs> that's what you rely on? <laughs> Thank
0: God. No, I mean, it's... I I've, I've worked with conductors by assistant time, and the conductor would ask me like, uh, uh, "How does it sound?" So, well, master, you you really hear everything. And the conductor said,
1: "Oh my god, no!" <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. Is that a, was that a tuba in the background of that song there at the end? There's like a. I don't know where you. No, no, it was a lower string. I, think. Oh, really? I didn't figure out it was a tuba, but might have, it might have been. Oh, I don't know. That's what it sounded like to me. But what do I know? Um, okay. Are there any albums that you think are perfect in their entirety that you will always want to listen to all the way through, or do you listen to just music piecemeal these days? Well, um,
0: I think there are a lot of beautiful albums. I would not be able to, um, you know, point one right now but maybe as I said as a Biddle fan Sergeant Pepper it is for me but uh, (laughs) what about like Night at the Opera from Queen love it
1: that was with uh, Monserrat Caballé in in, in, uh, Barcelona yeah oh wow yeah yeah, Mm. loved it um uh Album you would pick if you? that's it's probably Sgt. Pepper. If you can only listen to the one ever again, that's something I would not do. I would like to listen to the same
0: thing all over, over and over. But uh, you just
1: choose no album. <laughs> no, well, you know. But but uh,
0: so if if it is a band that I said I am, uh, the Beatles would would be it. But probably a mixture of a lot of stuff, a lot of things. You know.
1: Do you have any TV music, TV theme songs committed to memory, and can you sing it for us? TV theme, um, uh,
0: probably it would be um, Hawaii uh, zero 05, how do you call it? Hawaii it? 5, oh. Oh, five oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or Dallas. Yeah. Da, da. Exactly. <laughs>
1: oh. I'm, I'm, I'm an older guy. You know, I, I, I wouldn't know the, the, the newer one, but I know the older one. My mom was really into Dallas and a few years ago for her birthday, I was looking for cards and they had a musical card that when you opened it up, it played that. Right. <laughs> it was such a magical thing. Um, I just like that both of uh songs are, are musicals, of musical instrumental yeah, instrumental songs. <laughs> (laughs) Most people go for like Brady Bunch or, you know. (laughs) Um, Are there any, uh, uh, you know, guest conductor gigs out there that you haven't done that you would like to do that are on, like, your wish list? Oh, yeah, there are a lot of things that I would like to do that
0: are on the bucket list. I probably won't do them. Also, you know, uh, pieces like I would have loved to conduct Othello by Verdi or I would have loved to conduct an O'Malley Seventh Symphony, which I never did. Not sure it will happen. Uh, but it's on the bucket list. <laughs> um, some places I would be happy to be featured but, again, it's not like um, – it's not something that realistic that i think. oh, I have to do that. Right, no, right. It's uh, something on the if bucket list. If it comes list. along, it will make it. If it comes happy. along and, and life is full of surprises. Most of the guests conducting – I'm going out to Colombia, the Philharmonic of Bogota, whatever – I didn't think I would be in Colombia <laughs> yeah. and, until uh, five months ago when the offer came or, you know, a few other places that, you know, inviting me now. So, And, and there are places that I go back, uh, you know, regularly, Switzerland, uh, Italy, Germany, whatever. So Austria. These are
1: places that I, w- I know I would go back some time. But, you know, it always kind of surprises. Yeah. Well, your 15-year-old self that first year in that music and art school – Think about where you are now. I'm not sure I I understand the question. If you could travel back in time to your 15 year old self and see who you are today and what you've accomplished, how would you feel about that? I I would be quite surprised. You know, I
0: never imagined anything. I knew I want to be part of this world. Uh, I was not sure I would be a conductor. I could be happily maybe a teacher or doing something else, maybe a, a ranger for a symphonic uh, orchestra, a composer, or a, you know playing piano with an orchestra. I was not sure what I will do. I knew that conducting is very interesting for me, but I let it go. I just you know I re- when I registered, when I applied for a school in Vienna. After that was like, whoa, if they would ever expect accept me there? It's kind of a tough uh, cut together. We. Got two, three people out of hundred, and I said, "Well, if they will get me into school, that will be it. That will be my my thing in life." And once you're there, you all of a sudden said, "Okay, I would like to do this and this." So you know, I think we set to ourselves uh, goals, but when we reach one goal, we we look for the next one, maybe. And um, I think as a fifteen years old, I I was so naive about this entire profession, also my political views and all of that. And I think the fact that um, I was able, I, I, for example, when I was 15, I would never imagine I would speak German.
1: <laughs> I would speak
0: Italian. I would speak Spanish. All these things. And all of a sudden, so when you go and, and living in the States, you know, I'm so connected to the American uh, scene, to the American music. I never played any Bernstein <laughs> before or Gershwin or sure. Copland, which I adore. You know, I always loved uh, jazz music, but to go to Blue Note in New York, it Something's different, you know, and uh, so everywhere, everywhere I'm, I am, I try to absorb the culture and, and to be part of it as much as I can. And so looking back to the boy of 15 years old, I said, "Oh, what, what a life change!"
1: You yeah, know, yeah. mainly culturally. Yeah. Right, right. Um, okay, last question: We always ask people if there's any song they'll avoid listening to if it comes up on the radio. Are there any <laughs> songs that you, any songs that you just can't uh, can't can't abide? i don't know of any that
0: I would hate, but i'd say if it 's something that is a rap thing of a, of a, a constant repetition, i 'm less into that but now, through my kids, I listen to a lot all kind of uh different songs, Tyler Swift, and things like that was like oh, that's awesome no i don't have anything that I would like to avoid at this i don't know
1: of okay um uh, any final thoughts?
0: That was a beautiful journey to let me a little bit reflect on how music is essence in life and how different aspects in music leads to inspire you to go for a, a path. I don't think without me thinking of that, I would have it so clear now as I have it. But, hmm. but your, your initiative and your invitation to come here gave me a lot of reflection. So I'm, I think I'm very, very grateful for this opportunity, grateful for what music was able to do for me. And I hope if people listen to that and let them dive into the music and let them be inspired and in music and carry
1: them to a beautiful place. Well, uh, we appreciate your time. I know you have several rehearsals later today for the right. show tomorrow night. What are you guys playing? Verdi Requiem. Yeah, mm-hmm. big bass. Do you say break a leg in your world or is that it's just okay. a yeah. thing? <laughs> yeah, we do say right. that. Well, funny. thank you, Maestra so much. Thank you so much for having me. We make three song stories in the studios of WGCU Public Radio on the campus of Florida Gulf Coast University in Fort Myers, Florida. Richard Chinqui is our co-creator and producer. Tara Callaghan is our online content producer. Our executive producer is Chris Duffis. Our theme song was made by Dave 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 Cowan and Stick Martin at Monkey House Studio in St. Pete. For this week's parting tune, we're handing it off to our online content producer, digital maven Tara Callaghan.
2: My song is one that's going to be a little bit different, I think, for our three song stories listeners. Uh, My parting tune this week is going to be Cradle of Filth's Satanic Mantra. Uh, I'm kind of creepy and weird, if you know me at all. I have such an affinity for Halloween and the macabre. But this takes me back actually to a funny story, regardless of what the title of the song actually is. Uh, So my best friend, Kim... She used to pick me up and bring me home from high school, went to Mariner High School. So whoop, whoop, shout out to Mariner High School uh, grads. And on the way home from school, there were always these like younger kids uh, that would kind of be walking on the same street that was on my parents' house in Cape Coral. They would kind of mess with us actually a little bit. They would jump in front of her car. They would like yell at us. They'd, you know, throw hand gestures, things like that. So one day we're like, you know what? We're retaliating against these kids. We're going to do something so Creepy and weird that it's gonna freak them out. So we blare this Cradle of Filth satanic mantra. We we get out of the actual moonroof with a very large book, and what we do is we actually say these lyrics to them. So what it sounds like is a very cryptic sort of Archangel, Dark Angel, let me die light. Through death cells, till we have heaven in sight. So it's quite scary. I mean, it creeped these kids out and you know i think mission accomplished we uh, didn't really see much of them ever again on our drive home from school
1: <laughs> if you want to hand over one of your song stories for a parting tune at the end of a future episode write it up and send it along to my song story at wgcu.org i'm mike canary keep listening Next time on Three Song Stories. In those early days,
0: trading in the Middle East was usually done as a result of the old boy
1: network. Now, I was an old boy, you might put it that way. And the only way that you could do any kind of business
0: out there, particularly in the royal families or with the ministries, was to be incredibly patient.